Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is yet another tech company with my friend, Robert Goss. How's it going, Robert? Doing great, man. Glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. We had a great conversation. We've been talking so long, I forgot we were supposed to do a podcast. But anyway, Robert, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Yes. So Robert Goss, I'm actually based out of Kansas City. Uh, I'm on the Missouri side. And yeah, Nello Technology Company, we're also based out of here in Kansas City. We started off in 2020. And we focus on providing freight tech to brokers. Yep. So wait a sec. Your company name is yet another technology company. Yeah, that was uh, <laughs> it actually came up on the back of a bar napkin. We were trying to figure out what we wanted to name it. We're technologists and you know, not really much on the, the marketing side. And so we said, well, let's just go ahead and do something that's really kind of reflective of, of how we think. So that's kind of it came up with the name and it stuck. Yep. Very nice. So we'll get into that in a minute. So you mentioned Kansas City. So Kansas City is in Missouri and what? where's the other? Kansas. So, so it's in Kansas and it's in Missouri. Yep. Where's Kansas City? Is it in Missouri or is it in Kansas? There's actually a Kansas City, Kansas and a Kansas City, Missouri. So uh, <laughs> which is bigger? Uh, well, I, I think it's about I think it's about the same. Yeah, you know, there's a, a large amount of like kind of the suburban sprawl that's more on the Kansas side. And then the main downtown, like, uh, you know, uh, downtown areas on Missouri, as well as, you know, uh, North Kansas City, there's a lot of the kind of industrial piece and, uh, and whatnot that's kind of on the, on the northern side. So you're in, but you're on the Missouri side. I'm on the Missouri side. I'm, I'm right outside uh, downtown KC right now. So you can probably see it in the background right here. Yes, I can. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. So tell us a little bit about you. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you started yet another technology company. Yeah, so I, uh, I grew up originally in uh, Alabama. I uh, was born and raised in Huntsville, um, which of all places you would think uh, Alabama. Oh, what's a tech guy coming from Alabama? And that's a tech comp. That's a tech place, isn't it? it? It's the third most dense STEM city in the United States, behind Boston and San Francisco. So has a lot of a uh, lot of government, a lot of engineers. And that's actually, uh, I started... Uh, I'm from Detroit. The rest of you just making toys. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we make rockets, man. So <laughs> that, Those matter. <laughs> those matter, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I actually, my, my grandfather, he was, uh, he was actually a, a rocket scientist. He, he, he tested rockets and, uh, and whatnot and kind of grew up in, in that light and said, uh, hey, I'm going to go be an engineer. So I uh, went to school for a couple of years for, to be an engineer and... Uh, after a couple of years, I just I, I just didn't like it. I didn't like the pure engineering side, and took a couple of years off, and then went back for nutrition of all things, and then said, "Oh, I'm making more money lifeguarding than I could ever in nutrition, so I'm not going to do that." And then I, you know, started finding uh, had some mentors, and got into business and finance, uh, and finished my career out or my uh, uh, schooling out at uh, MTSU, uh, Middle Tennessee State, and got uh, a degree in uh, finance and some additional courses in, in mathematics and whatnot. Very nice. Yeah. And then I started off my career actually directly out of school, which that was out, uh, outside of Nashville, uh, came out to Kansas City right after school. Got a job out here working for a commodity company. I was doing a bunch of kind of risk management, uh, strategic finance, corp dev type, type activities. Uh, I did that for quite a few years. And I wanted to get away from that and go to more of the technology side. Taught myself coding, machine learning. You know, all those sort of things actually did some competitions uh, in the space and then got a job working at Yellow at the point. It was YRC and got invited to join their data science team. There was kind of a new founded team there. Did that for a couple years. And then in 2019, I kind of felt a recession coming on and ugly notes to me. We had COVID right around the corner. So I, I left and went to a little kind of safer industry. I went to, uh, to healthcare and did that for a couple years and about a year. And then decided, hey, I, I need to go back to, to logistics. And I still had some connections there and started talking with a couple of them. And in late 2020, uh, yeah, it was born. So then from there, it's it's history. So what hole did you see in the market? What, now, you have a partner? 
Yeah, yeah. So I have two co-founders, uh, one primary co-founder. So I'm the I'm the CEO and co-founder at Yat, and then uh, I have a CTO that's kind of head of our data science. He's from KU, uh, so that's actually on the Kansas side, and uh, he has you know a bunch of advanced degrees, including a PhD in harmonic analysis. He actually taught outside of Detroit for quite a few years, and he did a lot of kind of uh, cross. Uh, discipline data science work for a while. So he's our kind of our, our data science machine learning guru on our team. So what what hole did you see in the market? What opportunity did you see that made you guys want to start Yat, which is yet another technology company? Yeah. So we we look really looked at the market, and there was a lot of folks that were focusing on different pieces, either from operations, compliance, uh, transparency, whatever it was, and when we broke it down, for most brokers, at least in the uh, in the freight space, it all comes down to the price you you know you sell a service for and the price that you subsequently buy it for from a, from another party. And uh, everyone had a strategy for marketing and everything, but people didn't really have a strategy for pricing or you know procuring trucks or whatever it may be. And so we really wanted to focus on building technology to help them basically get that strategy down tight and then have the technology, you know. Uh, operate for them so right right and before we hit record we we're talking about technology in general and when you're talking with me about technology we have to skim across the surface <laughs> we're not going super deep sure but we talked a little bit about artificial intelligence we talked a little bit about machine learning data science apis edi and and one of the things i was mentioning is just how i feel like so much of that stuff is thrown around. I, I did a podcast probably a year ago where we we're just someone. I was with Nick Dangles, a friend of mine, and we we're joking about this idea of like, oh well, you know, I, I have an API that does my dishes. I have an API that I walk my dog with. Now, it was just so used, so overused that we we're like, well, what does it even mean? And we'll get into what some of this means. But AI and ML is one of those things too. Artificial intelligence, machine learning. So I wanted to talk to, to you, and I'm, I'm glad you said this. You said AI and ML, there's even disputes about its meaning among practitioners. So talk to us a little bit about, and I think, I think we came up with somewhat of a layman's definition. What is artificial intelligence versus what is machine learning? I mean, I think that definition has is, is changed over time. It's even changed in the last five years since I started kind of involving myself in the space. And, you know, machine learning is yeah pretty or both of them really combined together comes down to optimization right i'm optimizing something i think of it in freight or if i'm a trucking company i want to optimize empty miles and so you know i'm trying to you know reduce that loss function and machine learning and ai really comes down to reducing that kind of function of that loss which is something that's truly lost and the difference in machine learning and AI is very gray. Five years ago, it was what people would now call neural networks, and it's just a kind of extension. But, you know, that's changed. You know, nowadays, even a lot of kind of neural networks, which was considered AI five years ago, are, you know, now considered in the machine learning space. Mm -hmm. And really AI, my co-founder and myself, we've talked about this quite a bit and argue it uh, a lot, is it's more of the kind of the cutting edge research, the cutting edge algorithms. Right. It's kind of this kind of new reinforcement learning type stuff that, you know, basically, you know, it doesn't even have to have a suggested approach. Like a lot of machine learning says, hey, go go find me a good rate. It actually just says, here's a bunch of data, go find out how to solve this problem. And they're, they're doing some interesting stuff in that space that's on a really cutting edge of, of AI. So. so we're talking about this whole idea of when there's a CAPTCHA where it says, pick out the stop sign in each one of these. And so you're going through and you're clicking, clicking, clicking. From what I understand, that is being used by, this is being inputted into machine learning. So a driverless vehicle, an autonomous vehicle, will now know this is what a stop sign looks like in all these different pictures. What's this, And what I always say is kind of a joke is, basically it's a robot saying, Joe, prove to me you're not a robot. And, and I can't. <laughs> I, I always get caught up on the ones that have like, it's like show me the mountains and like, is that a hill? Is that a mountain? I can't really tell. I'm from the South. Everything looks like a mountain to me when it's about, you know, five, yeah, feet yeah. Down, and so. that's, it's a, such a weird thing to be going through that. And, but anyway, they're inputting that. So that's the kind of, the, this is that, this is inputs. So 
I can I can have it. Machines can learn, but at some point it becomes artificial intelligence. And again, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, is you could input it with a sequence. So maybe it's one, two, three, four, five, and at some point it's going to start saying five, six, seven, eight, right? It's going to start recognizing. And so at some point it goes from just inputs to we've, we've uh, assimilated this information in our, in our artificial brain. And now we're going to start saying what the future looks like. Yeah. And that's, you know, a lot of times, you know, in machine learning, it's like that one, two, three, four, like, Hey, I have a stop sign. I'm showing top five pictures of stop signs and two pictures of not stop signs. Machine learning is really good at figuring out what those five stop signs are and what those two aren't. And then kind of like AI, when it comes into the kind of the new new generation of stuff, when it comes to things like reinforcement learning, is it is understanding, all right, if I see a stop sign, what am I supposed to do, right? Which is the, it's more of a, oh, I just detected it, that's machine learning. And then it's kind of like the next step of saying, well, what do I do now? And that's kind of like the new cutting edge of AI. I, I, I read a book years ago, and I remember the author was saying, when you let machines kind of look at things and, and determine and put them in categories. So they said, if, if, if a cat walked through your office, you know, that's a cat and, and, and you might just see the tail and go, that's a cat. I know that that's a tail, but on the other end of it, there's a whole cat, yeah. not just a tail. <laughs> What's interesting about that is they said when AI, um, when machine learning is looking at this stuff, it, it, it's not going to pick up the same cues you do as a human. And it might look be looking at the distance between the eyes and say that that's a cat versus not a cat. And, and then you throw a stuffed animal, a cat stuffed animal in there. And they, they have to at some point be able to say that's not a live cat. And the challenge becomes when it's, hey, that's a caracal or a tiger or whatever. As you start to, and you, we see those all as cats and you think, well, that's not that hard. I learned all that as a kid, but it is extremely difficult to, to teach these machines just the difference between a house cat and a, a larger cat, but also these um, of stuffed animal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and you brought up a really good point on that. And that's something that uh, we, we think is delineation between machine learning and AI is interpreting why you thought something was what it was. You saw the cat tail and there's pieces of that tail that you can say, here's the reasons why I thought that tail belonged to a cat. And that's what machine learning, most machine learning can tell you why it made a choice or for most reasons it can kind of give you some reason why. And a lot of the stuff in the AI space, especially some of the larger you know, AI solutions have a difficult time of telling you why they saw that that was a cat, right? As you pointed out, like the distance between the eyes, it may be trying to figure that out from that other piece, but it can't really tell you why it thought something. It can't kind of translate that, the why. Right. So I know also when we're talking about this, I learned from reading this book also is we didn't do AI and ML for a long time because we needed a lot of, lot. Of, we needed a few things to come together. First off, we needed a massive amount of data. So if I input to a machine into an algorithm, a hundred bits of information, not that helpful. It's not going to, it's limited by the amount of data. So I need thousands, tens of thousands, millions of points of data to feed into that. And for that, I need computing power. And then, and then I need to be able to create these algorithms. So it's those three pieces, if I'm not mistaken, I need a lot of data accessible by the way, we've always had tons of data. It was in file cabinets. And when I say file cabinets, I mean literal file cabinets by your desk, right? And now I would say it's in silos. And we're doing a better job now. So we could go, if we wanted freight data, I can go to DAT or I could go to freight waves. I could go to the individual companies. That stuff is no longer in file cabinets necessarily. If somebody's taken it, made it anonymous and shared it. And now I can get those million points of data. So I got the data side. And we, we now have the computing power to do this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's it's, it's that's the easy part happening. now? Oh, that's the easy part now. <laughs> and that, that's the that's the super easy part, yeah. And then writing the algorithm, is that something that you guys do? Yeah, so from our standpoint, really having the right algorithm for the right situation is really where we create our value. And that's really where we, we find that you can differentiate yourself in the market. 
And so, yeah, so we have, you know, all our, you know, algorithms and all that stuff is all in the house. You know, we do have some kind of package type stuff we use for very simple things, but most of ours are just, I mean, it's, it's down to applying the algorithm on a mathematical uh, scale. See, that's, that seems to, I know you say that's where you guys add value, but that seems to me, like if you've said, Joe, write an algorithm for something, I would say. Well, I'd have to Google it, <laughs> so Google would know. Yeah. Google would Google would say how to do it. I guess I remember using the term algorithm. I also went to engineering school for a while, <laughs> and uh, I remember doing it in high school. I remember doing it in college, but I don't remember doing it in the last twenty years. And by the way, I worked in engineering for most of my career, but I had already started working in it before I got my degrees. And uh, I always remember the surprise on my boss's face when I told him I dropped out of engineering school. And he's like, well, I thought you were doing that. Nope, nope, I switched. I'm getting a business degree. I'll have it. I'll, I'll get that in the next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's that's kind of how I was too. So, <laughs> yeah, and it's funny. As soon as I switched from engineering to business, I was like, oh my god, this is where I fit. And then I got a master's in education. I was like, I love this, right? But I will say this: we need more engineers, and we have to do a better job of training engineers. And my sense is. We fail too many engineers. And to me, if I, it's my job to train somebody to be an engineer, I'm going to get that done. And if it takes five years or six years, I don't care. We do a horrible job right now. And I hate the idea that you can go to an elite business school, I mean, an elite business school or elite engineering school, be a 3-9 student and not get through their engineering program. Is that because you're not smart enough? Or do you say our education is failing us? We don't know how to teach. I don't know. I, 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 I shared this with you before that I felt like some of our public education is very similar to machine learning, right? It, it says, here, here, go, here's all the data points, and here's your outcome that we want you to get, and then we're going to do a test, and that's the end of the test, and that's the kind of like the training testing piece. And at the end of it, you know, I'm going to send you into the world and, you know, see how you do. And to your point, do we do a good job? Not so good sometimes. So, so that, Machine learning is the inputs, and at some point, the artificial intelligence. It, I'm sure it's it's assimilating, it's learning. That's why I call it machine learning. Yeah, I'm sure it's learning differently than I am. But then, at some point, when it starts to extrapolate what the the next steps are and the future is, that's when it becomes the artificial intelligence, where it's applying that art what it's learned to the future. I'm assuming. It's it's kind of saying, what do I need to learn next, right? It sits there and says, hey, I got an engineering school. I'm not good at my job. What do I need to learn to be better at my job, right? What are the things? You know, go out there, look at a bunch of different pieces. How do I how do I make myself better at the job? Detecting those and then going and doing those steps and making those kind of next steps. That's kind of like really where kind of at least we see AI is that kind of that next that next frontier. Yep. Yep. So anyway, let's switch gears. AIML, we're hearing it constantly, and I'm glad you gave us a little bit of insights. And I'm glad you said it's very difficult to draw a line between AI and ML because it seems almost as one word. And by the way, I had somebody on my podcast who kept saying in an accent, AIML, and I kept saying, AIML, AI, what do they mean by that? <laughs> it was AIML, but it's it, we're applying it. Five years ago, we wouldn't be talking about AIML. It was just never brought up, and now it's almost constant. So let's talk, let's switch gears. Let's talk a little bit more about your company. What problems are you solving for freight brokers? Yeah, so you know, like I said, we, we we detected that you know a lot of freight brokers they have strategy around marketing, hiring, the markets they serve, how they you know go about operations, how they serve their clients. They all have these strategies that are really great at doing the the day to day operations. What we really detected is that a lot of folks are missing the gap on. The price that they purchase a service for, the price that they pay for, and that comes down to the unique economics of their business and strategy for that just isn't there. So we we came out there and we said, hey, we need to address the pricing and capacity problems in the market by taking all these data points, all these mounts of data that you said that like they're out of file cabinets, they're now in these massive stores. Bring them in and interpret them correctly to folks and do it in real time so that they can take actions right there on the desk at one point in time or they're on the phone they don't have to go talk to a manager and allow them to basically interpret have machines interpret all that data for them and give them insights into the actions that need to be made right and not so long ago 
if I was a freight broker and somebody said, I need this truck to go from Kansas City to Detroit, we we did it with tribal knowledge. I'm using that air quote. I haven't said it in a while. God, I I love to say tribal knowledge. I don't I talk to talk to too many people who talk to VCs. Yes. <laughs> and but that's how we did it. I would say, uh, you know, I don't normally do the De- Kansas City to Detroit, and I would say, hey, Robert, if you, what does it normally cost? I look in the system; we've done it three times for eighteen hundred dollars or four grand or whatever it is, and then I say, okay, this is the price, and that would be it. In recent years, we started looking at other in other outside indexes, like say a freight waves or a DAT or something like that, and I say, well, okay. There's the high, here's the low, I'm going to go in the middle. Or I'm going to go a little higher because it's a Friday at the end of the month. And that was it. And what you're saying is now, I mean, we've gotten more competitive because we do have people who are using these technologies to come up with pricing, not in 15 minutes by reaching out to Robert and Tom and (laughs) Susan who works in the office. You're coming up with a price like right now because that's what the system said. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we, we have ours down to the like kind of sub-second like response, like bam, it happens like that. It takes all the things in that you're saying. Like, I mean, it comes down to, you know, how many days out, if it's on a Friday, it's last minute on a Friday, it's gonna be really hard to find a truck, right? It's gonna be hard to find a truck Monday, even though that it's, you know, technically three days away, you're not gonna find a truck over the weekend. And it's also gonna be hard to, if I wanna try to do like Hayes, Kansas, right? Out to, you know, on the thumb of Michigan, that's going to be very difficult to find a truck because of the, uh, you know, the difference in, you know, deadhead. I'm going to have to take a truck all the way out there. I'm going to have to take a truck back to Detroit. You know, all those pieces, right? And, you know, we've talked about this before on, on dynamic pricing. All those components have to go into that price and you get, you know, your price that you had before. It may not be the exact same lane. It might have been, you know, two days out, but this one is five days out, right? Making sure that you adjust the price to be kind of really reflective of what, the operations are going to do, right? How long is it going to find the truck? What they're going to have to operate? And the problem is we all, you know, we say, we do, I don't need it. I can do it the way we've been doing it. And But the problem is I am bringing in my biases. The market might have changed in the last few weeks or last few months. What was, what was true for five years might no longer be true about a given lane. And um, maybe I haven't, I don't move it enough, right? So if somebody says, yeah, Joe and Robert moved that, Kansas City to Detroit all the time, but throws throws for a loop by saying an hour out of Kansas City to Traverse City. Oh, okay, now that I, I'm not used to that, I never did that lane, and I have to figure stuff out. And rather than having to do a lot of research, we're letting the machine learning and the AI I do that research. So, so your customers are taking advantage of your technology to come up with better pricing. Now, where are you getting your information? that to provide it to your customers is it coming from their systems yeah so we we have a a whole slew of of, you know both data points and you know adjustments rules all these sort of things you know our our, we partner up with third-party data providers such as like we said like that truck stop general all those folks right and then you know we have you know their data from their tms with like load history you know I, i say we also have a capacity product that you know people actually interact in like a, a carrier CRM. And so we have all that information as well as kind of a customer repository. We bring all that information in along with stuff like weather data, actually geographics. So we understand, you know, where you are, what's the geographics of an area, what's the city like, what's the highways like, bring all that in and then you crunch all the numbers, either at the time of quote or RFP. And then, like I said, we, we present that data back out in a you know in a very fast format. Yeah, and I think this is by the way one of the things I also learned by studying AI is and machine learning is they're not necessarily going to give you the number that we would have you've come up with, and so sometimes it's it's not intuitive to us. And again, we're bringing these very imperfect brains, these brains that were better suited to wandering the savanna than crunching numbers like this, right? So they come up with something that that I go, oh, that seems too high. Well, but maybe they're they're bringing in information that that I don't have, or maybe I haven't. I just didn't. Uh, I don't believe it, right? Yeah, and that's uh, there, there's a there's a, a phrase we like to talk about a lot, especially when it comes to machine learning and and technologies. That humans are really great at strategy. 
and computers and technology are really great at the tactics, right? So, I mean, it's like the concept of war, right? Generals, the generals are always going to be humans, right? They, they may have, you know, computers to run the tactics, the simulation of like the outcomes of battles and whatnot, but really it comes down to the humans kind of understanding the strategy behind uh, the problem at hand. Yep. You're, so you're working with freight brokers on this. Um, is that who primarily you work with? Yeah, our primary focus is freight brokers. We also work with a couple uh, kind of asset-backed brokers as well. So they maybe have uh, an asset arm, they have a bunch of trucks, and they start up a brokerage. We've worked with a couple of those as well, um, kind of help them get into the brokerage pricing component. I mean, it's a little different than an asset side. And they'll also, you know, taking into consideration all their assets is another piece that you have to consider when you're when you're pricing. Yep. So you mentioned the, you have these data sources. So you mentioned truck stop. Dat and I don't know that you necessarily use all these, but who are the tr- who are the companies that have all this data? I know Dat, Dat I know Truck Stop, I I think Freightwave sells data. Who else sells data other than those companies? Oh, I I, I was actually talking with a, a broker yesterday on this, and we were looking to do a list and the number of kind of these aggregators that are coming out there that are you know doing load boards that are doing stuff around you know uh, they either have an app and they sell you know. The data or it's ELT, whatever it may be. There's a lot of these guys that they're coming up there doing load boards, uh, aggregators. So they're collecting the data and then they make it anonymous. They're not sharing anybody's information. Right. And, yeah. And they then do. they and then they sell it to companies who can crunch it. Yep. Exactly. And it's uh, it's it's growing. So, and I think this is the evolution of our space. So this this is why I'm asking these questions. I don't always get a chance to talk to people like yourself. So what's Interesting to me is, so let's just say I got, um, let's just say I'm a freight broker and I say, uh, I bought that for $2,000 and I added $500 for us. And that information goes to one of these data sources and they say that lane cost $2,500. Now, somebody else could say, I went directly to the carrier and I think six. 65, 70% of shippers go directly to carriers and they say, I got that same lane Joe did. And it was $2,700. And then somebody else says, oh, I got it for $2,200 directly from a carrier. So how does, when, so when I'm getting that data, how do I know which is brokered data versus not brokered data? And does that, does that change my, my uh, equation? I mean, it's a really valid point. I mean, you have all these kind of data sources out there, a lot of people reporting, and it, it lacks the context. And that's a, a, it's maybe a technological term, but it lacks the context of, why that data was recorded and in what did like basically what context it was a direct to broker is direct to shipper whatever it may be and it you know maybe missing the fact that oh well i had a, a lift gate added on or at least sort of things where that context of that information is just not there and so when you look at it you have to you have to scrub your data you have to somebody really has to scrub it clean it and so oh, absolutely so it might have accessorials like you mentioned liftgate but it also could have had a detention on there you could have deten- i mean the the list of accessorials is massive right team drive you get something that's reported team drive first you know single driver hazmat whatever it may be you know that tra- that causes those things to be way off so as you're getting data do you have the problem sometimes saying i don't have a uh, context for this or does that is that normally part of the data at this point you typically don't have context i mean as you say it's anonymized and when you anonymize it you lose that context of the information that's provided and you know some of the things that we look at doing is alerting to those anomaly detections you get some data points from either your internal system an external system whatever it may be and we actually in real time identify where those you know anomalies may be happening, where there's maybe a difference in price, there's a vast disparity between your internal price, the external price, or maybe you're actually doing something that's, you know, I'm shipping to Nantucket, going to an island, right? By the way, there's a ferry, you're gonna have to pay more, right? So Well and this is this is what's interesting to me. So I could be, let's just say a very large company, well some of the larger freight brokers, they they could say we have so much data that for the, we just use our data. And then there could be somebody smaller says, hey, we don't have enough data on our own. Or maybe you a big company, but you say, do you ever segregate and say, this is the data that came out of your system and this is the data that came out of other people's system? The great thing about having the data coming out of uh, you know the, the broker or the, the carrier system is you have the context. You have a pretty, you have a lot more context to where that was. 
Uh, you also have a lot of context too, like I said earlier, about the kind of lead time, who it was, who the customer was, all these sort of things. Oh yeah, and it could be contracted versus spot too, right? Exactly. I mean, and you, you know, determining that there's a lot of work that, like I said, we do with that that scrubbing, cleaning. New term we always use is enriching and enriching all of those kind of data points. And, and enriching means I'm adding context, like, hey, the reason this was cheaper than this is because this was a contracted rate, and rates had gone up by that time, but it didn't matter because it was contracted and they honored that. Exactly. Right. So you typically a lot of team messages, they may have like uh, your contract rates. We offer that within our system. You know, we actually do all that matching. We match it back to a quote. We match, you know, to bids, whatever it may be. So we actually have that context and make sure that that's filtered out. You know, all that exception handling of saying this is should it be included because it is part of a contract rate. So likely cases you won't be able to get into the carrier to do that because you had a contract with that carrier for that uh, that specific claim. So. So I think there's a lot of us, I'm not like I invented this idea, but I think there's a lot of us who believe eventually a lot of our loads will be done kind of almost automatically when somebody says, I have load and somebody says, that's the price for this load. And I think acceptance will be automatic in many cases, but it can't be automatic when there is this unclean data where you say, hey, that could cost twenty eight hundred dollars or could cost thirty five hundred dollars. Well if I'm on the if I'm the shipper I'm saying no 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 <laughs> you you aren't gonna give me a seven hundred dollar swing there. I have to be able to look at the market and say I do have the context. I am I need a lift gate. I need uh it's not gonna be a live unload. I want to drop the trailer there. What whatever all those things are or there's an appointment delivering to a storage unit, all of the things that maybe add extra costs. I have that context. Could we? So I'll just suggest that I think we're maybe just in the infancy of scrubbing this data and then being able to come up with a price that you say, I feel really good about this price and I can live with it. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's that's a piece that we look at. We always you know, call it de-risking, right? De-risking the that that price right so you have that price it may be that really wide range because there's a lot of risk in it right there's a lot of risk in it being up and down you always see the stock market those guys say the range is between three thousand and four thousand by end of the year you're like cool that's a that's a big range i don't i won't retire next year but the same thing with like freight prices right you have to be able to reduce that range reduce that price account for all those different pieces you know everything from you know like you said lift gate to storage unit to it's tomorrow versus three days from now. Yeah, you have to de-risk that. You have to get really take all those considerations in, into into play. So. Yep. So I think what we're where we're at on this is the data is going to have to come in cleaner with more context, right? And and then there's the, the building of the algorithms. You're you guys are obviously doing. You will continue to improve, and companies like yours will continue to make better algorithms. We no longer have a challenge with the underlying computing power or the underlying ability to do this analysis, right? Oh, I, and I have a, I was talking about CTO the other day. Uh, I remember training a model on a machine and it was taking like, I think five days for the model to train. And then two years later, I did the same thing on a slightly different machine, basically the same cost. And it trained in 20 minutes, but that's best how long it took before the battery died. So what is what do we what do you mean by training? Explain what that means. So yeah, so that's computing power. So I mean, when you're training a machine learning model, you have to go through that step, right? And that means I have to compute the situation, next situation, right? Whatever it may be. What is the computing? I'm just trying to understand that. Yeah. So uh, when you're doing any sort of machine learning, it's taking those inputs. So hey, it's a binary input for it's a lift gate. It's binary input for it's a weekend delivery. Here's the average rate for that period, the min max, and it takes all those pieces in. And then it's trying to predict that price, right? And predicting that price says, oh, well, I predicted 3,600. It's actually 3,500. I was off by $100. And when you're doing machine learning, you try to minimize that loss, right? That little piece that's the, you know, the difference in what the outcome is. So your job is to keep building these algorithms until you get what you're supposed to get. Exactly. Yeah. And how do you know what you're supposed to get? So when it's 3,600... Where's the thirty? Where's that thirty six hundred number come from, and where's the thirty five hundred number come from? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, remind me here. Thirty six is what what I was actually what I predicted. Thirty five right. was the reality, right? So yeah. So thirty five is what is actually paid for. So if you look back in time, you say okay. with all this context, that's the price that we actually paid. So so you know 
that this is the right answer and you're trying to teach your model to come up with that and when you but and that means you're constantly updating your algorithm and so what might happen over time is let's just say you mentioned weather and by the way, I had the people from Tomorrow IO on my podcast. And I tell I think what we're talking about now is dynamic pricing. But what's interesting is they're a weather, weather and climate app. And 25% of our shipments are are delayed. 25% of our accidents are because of weather. And so at some point, you will add into your algorithm weather. And so that'll be an input and They'll be able to see it, so your model gets that much better. I'm assuming already you have Monday, Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday in there, right? Yeah. Well, not only the days of the week, but also the you know future months of the year. Periods. Yeah. How, how far forward? How far forward is Thursday from now? Right. So, well, actually, today's Thursday, but like, oh, well, next Thursday, that's easy, right? Uh, put in the context of what date, what today is, and what actually day you're shipping is another piece. But right, and I think we'll, we're all, we're all still trying to train shippers that if you call me a little, give me an extra day or two, we'll do a better job. But I think that we've always done that anecdotally. And what we're getting to is people like you and yet another technology company will be able to tell me, Joe, that's not anecdotal anymore. We'll tell them if you call me two days before it's, it's, you, you'll save this much three days before you'll save this much more four days before. And we're, we're going to be able to say stuff that we've always done anecdotally. We'll be able to do now with AI. Yeah. And, and you mentioned weather. You know, weather is a, a small component of what we have. We have some very rudimentary, you know, pieces that, you know, they're taking into consideration. And obviously, you know, all this stuff is a research work, right? You know, as you as you come up with new pieces, new inputs, you hear people were having problems because of whatever the situation is, it comes down to a research war of refining, constantly refining that algorithm to the market that you're in, right? I mean, I don't know how, how you can refine a model to to predict what happened uh, two years ago, but you know, you know the common pieces like weather and demerge, all those sort of things, the, they can be kind of trained into the model over time. But I think what we're getting to, and this comes up every once in a while on my podcast, is we're getting to a place of where everything that happens in the physical world is also has a digital twin in the virtual world. And once we have those digital twins or supply, supply chain twin, we can start to run scenario planning. And that's what we want to be able to say. And not just for trucking and, you know, the two days or three days that's on the road, but from order to cash. And I know some supply chain companies are doing this. And why I would, while I might not know COVID's coming, I could say, I'm going to do a scenario where I can't get my my stuff from China because either another pandemic, some sort of political issue, storms, whatever it is, that happens that prevents me from order. And so you can start to do that scenario planning. And we we can't do that scenario planning very, we, we can do it in our brain, we can do it at a whiteboard, but it's gonna be a lot better when we say all of this is internal to my systems and I can apply AI and they can spit it out and say, here's the probability that this is a challenge for you. Yeah, absolutely. And that really comes down to like humans, I mentioned earlier, humans are really good at this strategy, right? They you know, they can look at the deteriorating issue a couple months back in Ukraine and say, hey, we're going to have to worry about a couple pieces, right? As a, as a company, we need to worry about X, Y, and Z. Hey, I need to go get my pricing. Like, it's our pricing strategy. We need to make sure that we're accounting for this going forward. And really, that's kind of what we focus on. Like I said, we have all the tactics that, that, that operate on the, the, the bottom basis. But really, when it comes down to it, you have to have someone that leads the strategy, right? And you have to have you know someone that has this high level you know view of what's what's happening, right? And that's some of the stuff that we we implore that allows them to basically instill a strategy, instill a, a pricing strategy at a high level. Here's how I want to price with customers. Here's how I want to price with carriers, and then you know implore that so that it's you know the tactics of the machine and and the technology and the AI machine learning, whatever you want to call it, is, is done uh, kind of on a on the low-level basis. Right. So you work with a lot, of, a lot of brokers. How do you guys connect your system to their systems? They have a transportation management system. How, how are you interacting with them? Yeah, so uh, it, we mentioned this earlier. We, we got APIs. We think APIs are like uh, <laughs> like brokers have phones. But, uh, you know, we're, we're working with, uh, you know, talking with a couple of different TMS providers to do direct, you know, access type of uh, things for, for quoting and for, for pricing. And we also have, you know, allow them to do exports and imports, right? Part of that is, 
you know, we, we understand that not everyone has like a really fancy TMS. They can do APIs, whatever it may be. And so we actually allow for, you know, uh, you know integration, non-traditional integrations where they may be able to get an export uh, and enrich that data without having to go through the extremely expensive integration process. Yeah. And, and by the way, I've said it before we hit record and I really, I've said it on my podcast a number of times. I feel like dynamic pricing is critical. And I feel like we're going to get to a place where it's the, the haves and the have nots, you know, because this is going to give people the ability to say buy now, right? Where you say, this is the price my system sit, uh, spit out. And I send an, so when Robert says, Joe, how much is that? And I hit him back with a price that it's $3,800 buy now. And, and what that kind of means is my system spit it out. We're not going to debate it. You're not going to call me and say, Joe, could you get $50 off that? Because I say, no, my whole Carrier strategy is tied to this. They're going to get a good rate. We're going to make some money, and you got a you got a market rate. And I think this is going to speed that whole you know where we, rather than a broker managing ten or fifteen transactions in a day or five, however many they're doing, they're going to do hundreds, many thousands. Yeah, and we have folks. I mean, we have our, our our quoting. You know, we have our own quoting portal, our own UI and whatnot. And you can do a quote in a matter of like 10 seconds, right? Obviously, one of it's the compute time, right? The, the, the computer time. But, you know, we, you put in, you know, zips, you click a couple things, it flags you if you need to actually, you know, take longer time to evaluate it. Uh, and then we do like a one-click copy to, to email, right? That's, you know, yeah, you put all that information, transparency, whatever you want to do, you know, allow you to do that and really cut down on all the same, you know, all the other work that's just hard to do, right? Yep. And and, and that'll just get the, the connectivity with... Your customers gets better every day, I'm sure. So eventually it'll be, you know, as you said, it's, so you mentioned API. Let's talk a little bit about API. So what is, what is EDI and what is API? I actually, I, I, in, in healthcare, I did a bunch of EDI, I did all uh, medical claims EDI. And I don't want to go back to that. That was, that was, I was some straight, but like EDI, uh, I, I always, you know, EDI is just, Hey, here's some data. Here's information that we want to do. I want to move a load. Here's the origin destination. It's just the data that's associated to it. And then the transfer, sending it to somebody that's some other protocol, it's some other way of doing it. And then API is actually the direct. That is almost like a triggered thing, like that delivered and therefore it delivered and that triggered something. So so that was a, a sequence. And API doesn't work that way. How does API work? Yeah, so API is actually like direct. I have data and I have my system or whatever I'm operating with and I send it direct to the other one and I get a response back. I know that it was delivered. I know that they received it. Always open, always interactive. Always open, always interactive. It's like sending a letter. Yeah, I used the uh, analogy before we hit record and I like this one. I probably stole it. So that if I sit at a in a restaurant and the waitress comes over, takes my order, and then takes it back to the cook. That's that's an EDI transaction. And then when she brings the food back, that's another EDI transaction, right? API would be if I sat at the counter and the cook was right there and I was able to say, hey, could I also have some fries with that? And yeah, you know, please, you know, extra refill on pop, whatever you decide. But that's an always, it's, it's an ongoing open conversation as opposed to uh, more formalized. So, I joke about it, but it, it, we constantly hear these terms, and I don't think that uh, the average person who is may, maybe a fantastic operator maybe, and been very successful, but then all of a sudden, <laughs> in your 40s, 50s, and 60s, we're having to be thrown in with uh, techies. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it, 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 and do, not only do, thrown do, in yeah. with the techies, where everyone says the techies know everything and you know nothing. Well, I've been moving freight for a long time, but. <laughs> suddenly, I, so, suddenly I'm a doofus. <laughs> well, the worst part is, is even when it comes to APIs, you know, there's new, new era ways of doing it, new different ways to, you know, communicate the information. There's even like this, you know, uh, ways that it's actually not even direct response. You have this kind of delayed response that you may get a response, you may not. And it's, it, I mean, it's always changing, right? I mean, it's the same thing. You know, you, you mentioned sitting at a, a countertop. You know, it's the same thing as the phone call. I can get a phone call. I get an instant response on the other guy that's giving me a response back on the other end. It's, you know, these, the technology is constantly changing in that light. So, Robert, I want to get, I want to wrap this bad boy up. So before, but before we do that, I want to ask a few more questions. So what's next for this? And when I say this industry, I mean, this industry is like dynamic pricing. So what's next for dynamic pricing? What's next for YAT or yet another technology company? And then what's next for you? 
Any order. Answer in any order. In, in any order. Next for me, I, I'm going to go spend a, a week on the farm. I got family nice. farms, so I'm going to go do that. So, uh, but next in the in the world of dynamic pricing, I, I think that providing you know, there's all these kind of data sources out there, but you know, providing really kind of intelligent pricing to move freight based solely on what you're doing. That's I think that's really what you're. Uh, that's kind of like the next error of dynamic pricing is saying that's the context. That's the context. Hey, I just want to move freight. Here's what I want to move, when I want to move it, and actually be able to provide a price that's kind of holistic. Everyone's talking about this omni-channel stuff, but providing a price that's that whole channel, right? That's that maybe maybe you're doing the middle mile and last mile, you're doing you know two legs, or maybe I want to do some intermodal, or kind of doing some sort of you know uh, discovery around what's the best price, right? Can I do intermodal? Should I do LTL for a full truckload? Doing that and providing the best price with some sort of parameter from the user of saying, I want X service, is I think that's the next error in, in dynamic pricing. And you're, you're, you're going to have to have some evolution in, in the, the industry to, to handle that. So so what's next over at Yat? Next over at Yat. Yeah, and, well, probably a little bit of that a little bit. But uh, yeah, as, as, as we said, you know, we're kind of data science focused and we're really looking to expand on that and provide more than just you know, pricing capacity. That's kind of the basis. That is the dual market right. that these folks live in and building out from that, building uh, you know, solutions that give more insights, give them, you know, real time access to data science that the big guys probably have access to, but, you know, the little guys don't. So Right. Yeah. And I, I and you know this as well as I do. We've watched technology in so many parts of our life. Remember when you, you, you first got a phone, like, it was like the coolest thing. And if, now if you had that phone, you'd be like, oh, my God, look at this. Cra- look at that old phone I used to use. What yeah. was that? Like, <laughs> I remember I was telling somebody, remember when they used to charge you for text messages? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. we'd all go broke now. <laughs> but the idea that you would have those apps on your phone. So I always think we've, we've watched it in so many parts of our life where the technology started at what felt like zero and now just the, the the growth and the sophistication is unbelievable. I think we're going to see the same thing in your world in that dynamic pricing. Five years from now, you and your partners will look back and go, "Look what we were doing then versus what we're doing now." Yeah, and it's I mean it's something that's you know come across you know uh, in the in the last couple of years, and you know it's it's growing. I mean the with the focus on logistics with everything that's happened in the last two years. I mean, people are really focusing on the problems, the real, the real root problems in the industry, and that's going to drive growth, and that's going to drive you know change for the betterment of everybody, from yeah. people on the floor to the shippers. And I would say that if you're not a technologist, for all of us, we just have to recognize that technology is going to take over a lot of the routine, rote activities, and some of those things. You know, this has been an industry where there's been a ton of middlemen and required adding value. But I think we're going to see the technology stepping in and doing some of this for us. So I think it's incumbent upon all of us to become really good at looking at the data scientist reports, becoming a little bit of that data science scientist, say, here's what was output and here's what we're going to do with this information. And I think it's also we're going to have to learn about that a little bigger chunk of the supply chain rather than just look at over the road. Say, how can I add value from order to cash? Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's, there's so many pieces there that it's, uh, it's crazy. So yeah, and, and by the way, I wouldn't be surprised if companies like yours end up saying, not only do we predict what's going to be happening in the truckload market, we can predict from the time you order to the time you get your cash, we can just we can uh, describe what's going to happen. We can predict the problems. We can predict some of the pricing. So we're uh, we're at the beginning of a great uh, great journey and again I, we it happens faster than we think i i joke about this but it's no joke technology guys are like what 11 and 0 they're like alabama they are going to come and they are going to win so <laughs> you can jump on board or you can be run over uh, as an auburn fan i i i, I get run over every year everyone talks oh, about yeah, trust bad. me i'm 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 a michigan wolverine we watch our our uh, rival the uh Buckeyes, I, we beat them this year. Of course, we lost our other rival, Michigan State. You're like, can't we just get it all together? <laughs> we we played Georgia and Alabama every year. 
in a three year or a three week uh, sprint, and it's it's painful every year, man. It's so. a funny it's a funny thing because you can read regard to this. If you lose to Michigan or Michigan loses to Ohio State, basically 25, 30% of the fan base goes, well, they have to fire the coach. Plain and simple. Losing, losing to Ohio State is unacceptable. Well, you, you know they lose like once or twice a year, right? I mean, <laughs> usually to a Georgia or a Clemson or whatever. And, and I was like, you can't fire the coach every time they lose to a top five team, right? Right, yeah. You, you, you a bottom five team. Year. <laughs> yeah. you lose to bottom five team. Yeah, you get fired, but lose to Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. You can't get fired for that. Yeah, that was uh, what was it? Uh, Coach Strong from Texas lost to KU, and he was fired before he got on the bus. Is a, a Texas Longhorn, which that makes more sense. Oh, by the way, <laughs> Coach Cooper at Ohio State had the winningest record in football when they fired him for losing to Michigan every year. <laughs> So, yeah, and then, by the way, what he would always say is, and then I couldn't even interview at Illinois or Indiana schools that don't play at that level usually. Oh, my God, yeah. Anyway, but getting back to my point, this technology is coming, and it is going to transform this industry even more than it has already. And I think we all have to recognize we have to move to to human positions. There's places that the technology is not going to be doing a good job. And I think we re, we have to move to those positions, adding more value. Yep, absolutely. Anyway, before you go, Robert, who's your sweet spot? Who do you guys work with? Yeah, so our, our, our sweet spot, like I said, is brokers and definitely the small guys, right? So, um, you know, everything from brokers with the annual run rate of, you know, 10, 200 million. That's really kind of our sweet spot. Obviously, folks that are uh, maybe have an asset-backed company, you have you know, a bunch of trucks and you want to open a broker jar, that's also an, another spot that we've been able to really help some folks and really find a lot of value for, for both of us. So That's excellent. Excellent. And again, I, th- I love what you're doing because, yeah, the big guys can spend all they – I shouldn't say all they want, but they can spend – and by the way, we know – I think C.H. Robinson is spending – I think well over like originally they said it was two hundred million dollars a year on technology and I think they upped it from there. If you're if you're a, a two hundred million dollar company, you aren't spending two hundred million on technology. So you gotta you gotta partner up. Yep. Oh and that I mean to that point, you know, they got uh, actually I, I know some folks that uh, are over there. I got uh, yeah, two hundred and something, two hundred and fifty folks on the data science side. And you talk to some brokers and I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah we know this broker, they got two hundred and fifty people. Oh, that's a big brokerage. I'm like this other broker over here has that many people on the data science side. I visited C.H. Robinson's campus, which is beautiful up in there in Minnesota. And yeah, I went to their technology center and uh, holy moly, very, very impressive, very impressive company. Yep, absolutely. So anyway, it was really a pleasure having you. What I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile and I'll put a link to your company website and any other links you give me. I'll put those in the show notes so people can reach out and talk to you. And Robert, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Joe. Yeah, it was a pleasure. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.